Of course, my name is Curtis Langlois. It's really pronounced Longclos, by the way, because it's French. Uh, my father is from Opelousas, Louisiana, and uh, yeah, <laughs> she, she can relate. Um, and uh, Christine and I, my, wife, my lovely wife Christine is back here. We've been members of this church for right about two years now. And uh, I just wanted to say, uh, speaking for, I'm sure she won't mind me speaking for her, but uh, we, we love you guys. Um, we just want to thank you so much for uh, making us feel welcome here. Uh, we were, uh, you know, in an interesting situation a couple of years ago, and we were just really looking for a good church to call home. We didn't have a, um, a church uh, home of our own since we had gotten married in 2019. And so uh, we ended up coming here as a result of uh, the, the healing room that was being done once a month by Robert Womack. And of course, Kelly was there that day we came in. So good to have you here with us, Kelly. And uh, he, he ministered, they ministered to, to Christine for some healing that she needed. And praise God, she's healed. Amen. Amen. And uh, we, we actually came to church. This was on a Saturday. We came to church the next day and Robert like did a double take. He was like, oh, you came. <laughs> he was surprised. So um, that's going to happen a lot more, by the way. A lot more people that come to your ministry are going to end up coming to church here. So, um, so Pastor threw the ball to me, so um, I, I've got the ball. I'm going to pass it to him at the end of the service, pass it back to him. Um, we're in the middle of a, a pastor is, was in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Ephesians. How many of you have been enjoying this uh, journey through the, the book of Ephesians. It's, it's such a rich book. It's, you know, it's probably Paul the Apostle's most impersonal book. In other words, he doesn't do a lot of saying, greet this saint and greet this saint. He goes right into talking about who we are in Christ. And he spends, like as Pastor mentioned, he spends the first three chapters talking about, you know, what we have in Christ, who we are in Christ, our position in Christ, our identification in Christ, and how we're seated in Christ in heavenly places above all principalities and powers. And then in the second half of the book, from chapter 4 through chapter 6, he goes into the practical application of how we walk out the Christian life, basically. And, uh, of course, when Pastor finished, I, I wasn't here last week, but uh, Pastor finished, I, I did listen to the, to the message on the podcast. And I noticed that Pastor ended at the end of chapter 3, and I, so I thought that I would just kind of hone in on that last, those last couple of verses of chapter 3, and maybe go a little bit into chapter 4, but I don't want to trample too much on what he's going to be teaching because I know he's got a lot of good things to share about the last half of the uh, book of Ephesians. But um, So I'm going to mainly focus on uh, the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. Um, let's, let's, just, let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you love us. We thank you that... Your compassion for us is so great. We just thank you that, that Jesus of Nazareth is here in this room with us because your word says where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And Father, your word says uh, that where there is unity, you command the blessing. And I thank you that there's unity in this room right now and great power is made available. 
And as it was in the book of Acts, chapter 10, when, the, when Peter preached the word to Cornelius, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word because they believed and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Father, that that same thing is available today. Uh, as we receive revelation from your word, I thank you that without even, uh, not, without even anybody laying hands on them, people can receive from you tonight through the teaching and the preaching of the word. And I thank you for this word that you've placed in my heart. I ask that you help me to minister it the way you gave it to me. And I just give full reign to the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants to do with it. And if he decides to take me in another direction, that's just fine, Father. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 this is actually the ending of the prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 3. Now, as Pastor has been pointing out, um, Paul prayed two prayers for the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, I believe, and then in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And Pastor has really been driving it home that we should be praying these prayers over ourselves every single day because these are Holy Spirit-inspired prayers, amen? And uh, if you've ever read uh, Kenneth Hagin's book, The Believer's Authority, he talks quite a bit about praying these prayers as well as one of the prayers in Colossians, I believe, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. But um, at the end of the prayer... In Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to pull it up on my Bible app here. I didn't bring an actual Bible with me. Ephesians 3.20. This is the New King James Version, and it says, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, verse 21, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now let's, let's look back at verse 20 again. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, most people in the church today don't have a problem believing that God is able. Would you agree with that? You'll hear people say it all the time. God is able, brother. Just, you know, hold on because God is able. The problem is, is that most of the time, we have a tendency not to believe that he's willing, you know, to, to, do, to do things for us. And um, I want to submit to you that actually the opposite is true most of the time. God is willing to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, but he's, he's really not able now, if I were R.W. Schambach, I would, point at the, I would point at the camera right now and say, don't turn the television set off. <laughs> because you lose a lot of people right there when you say that God is not able to do something. Amen? Amen. You, you really do. You lose a lot of people when you tell them that, well, God can't do something because God can do anything, right? Well, there's a lot of things that God can't do. He can't create a circular square, for one thing. <laughs> he can't create a rock that's so big that he can't lift it. You know, I'm being a little facetious there. 
But um, I want to submit to you that he is willing um, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Otherwise, why would he put that verse, why would Paul even say that? Why would he even put that in there? I mean, yeah, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, but he might not do it for you, you old dirty dog you. I mean, why even put that in there? So, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Why would, why, and why would he use such language as exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think? Why would he use that kind of language if he's not willing? Now, most people think he's, he's able, but not always willing. And I, I'm, I'm going to submit to you tonight that the opposite is actually true. Many times he's willing, but he's not always able. Let's look at an example in um, the ministry of Jesus in Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 14. Matthew. Now, let me set the stage for you here. This is when, this is just after Jesus and Peter, James, and John came down from the mountain. Uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was transfigured before uh, Peter, James, and John on the mountain. Of course, they fell asleep. I don't know how they could fall asleep during that. <laughs> but they fell asleep, and then they woke up, and they saw Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah. Moses, Moses and Elijah had appeared, appeared there. And then Peter said something to the effect of, because he didn't know what to say, he said, oh, it's good for us to be here, Lord. Let's, let's make a tabernacle for you, and then make one for Moses and one for Elijah. And then after that happened, there was this voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. You know, don't forget about Moses and Elijah, listen to Jesus, amen? And so they come, they, uh, they, they, they look up again and they see that Moses and Elijah are gone, and then they, they come down from the mountain. Now, as they come down from the mountain, um, we'll pick up here in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 17, and when they had come to a multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. Now, notice verse 16. So I brought him to your disciples, but what? They could not cure him. Okay? In other words, they tried. Now, to be fair, these disciples were not Peter, James, and John because they were with Jesus on the mountain, right? So these were either one of the other nine, or it might have even been, you know, a couple of the ones, a couple of the 70 that Jesus appointed in uh, Luke chapter 10. But suffice it to say, these were disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ that he had given power to cast out demons and to heal the sick. He, he gave all of them that same authority. So, but it says that they could not cure him. Verse 17, Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then, and then verse 19, 
This is, this is one I want to key in on. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Now, if Jesus would have been like many church leaders today, he would have said, oh, don't worry about it, guys. It, you know, it must not have been God's will. Of course, he wouldn't have said that after casting the demon out of the guy himself. But, you know, it seems like the will of God is, is what's tossed around as the, as the cop-out. You know, it, because it, it, it absolves us Absolves, absolves us of all responsibility. Amen? And so it seems like that more often than not, you'll hear people say, well, it, it must not have been God's will. But Jesus didn't say that. When they said, why could we not cast it out? He also didn't say, um, well, let's see what he said. <laughs> Verse 20. So Jesus said to them, because of what? Your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing shall be impossible for you. So, uh, you know, the other thing that Jesus didn't say is, well, guys, this is, this is just for me. This, I'm the only one that can do this. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, God is able, and he's the only one that's able. You know, he just sovereignly does what he wants to do, we have nothing to do with it. And as we can see from this passage here, that's absolutely not true. Amen. We do have a part to play. The disciples in this passage had a part to play. So, you know, Jesus didn't say, don't try this at home, guys. Just, just wait on me. I'll do it someday, but maybe not today. No, he said it was because of your unbelief. Let's look at another, and if, and if this isn't enough, let's look at another example in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is, Jesus had been, already been ministering in several towns and so forth, and had been, you know, seeing tremendous results, you know, healings, deliverance, uh, people being delivered from demons. And then he came to his hometown of Nazareth. Uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? Now notice this next part. So they were offended at him. Now you're in trouble if you get offended at Jesus. Amen? But the, what were these guys saying? They were saying, you know what, I, I used to play marbles with this kid. I mean, I, I, or maybe they, you know, spun Drydales or something, you know, Hanukkah. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like we grew up with this guy. Who does he think he is to, to say the things that he's saying? And, and they were offended at him. And notice what Jesus said in, in verse 4. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, you've probably experienced this 
yourselves. Amen? Trying to minister to your family, talk to your family about Jesus. Well, who do you think you are? You know? I'll listen to prophet so-and-so from Nigeria, but I'm not listening to you, you know? Well, even the prophet from, from Nigeria has a mom and dad too, right? And brothers and sisters who reject him. So, um, so a prophet's not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own, and in his own house. Now, this is what I want you to see in verse 5. Now, he could do no mighty work there. It doesn't say that he wouldn't, that he refused to do it. It doesn't say that it wasn't his will to do it. It said he couldn't do it, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now, let's look at verse 6 in the, basic, the Bible in basic English. I don't have that on here. Can you go to the next one? And he was unable. God is able, right? (laughs) Well, not according to this. And he was unable to do any work of power there, but only to put his hands on one or two persons who were ill and make them well. And if we were to read on in verse 6, I don't think I I put that in there, but if we were to read on in verse 6, it says, and he marveled because of their unbelief. And then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So unbelief will absolutely stop the power of God from from flowing in our lives. Amen? Now, um, Dr. Miles Monroe, um, Robert is a big fan of Miles Monroe, so am I. uh, He passed away a few years ago, great minister of the gospel in the Bahamas. He he made a statement one time that uh, really stuck with me. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here because I couldn't actually find the quote. But he said something to the effect of the only thing in life which is worse than being uneducated is being miseducated. In other words, believing something that's not true. Because then you have to, root, you have to uproot all these wrong things that you believe. And that's why I thank God for churches like this because, you know, Pastor David, is he's really helping to... Uh, uproot a lot of unbelief. And, uh, and, and let's be honest, uh, most of us, most, I'll say this, most of us did not grow up in a church like this. Uh, I grew up in a denomination where salvation was preached every service. I mean, they believed in salvation, and then maybe one Sunday out of the year they preached on tithing and giving because they needed to, <laughs> you know, they needed to raise some money. But most of the time, it was just about salvation. There was no discipleship. There was no uh, teaching about really how to, to live the Christian life that I can remember. And so, you know, and, and if there was any teaching on prayer, it usually consisted of something like this. Well, brother, you know, God always answers prayer. He always answers it. But sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait. Now, that is a magnificent oversimplification of things, isn't it? (laughs) Because Jesus never said anything that resembled anything like that. Now, I'll agree that God says no to something if you ask for something outside of his will. I agree with that. 
But what, we're, what we weren't taught is that God's will is so much greater than we ever thought it was. Amen? So let's, let's look at um, Ephesians uh, chapter two, uh, 3, verse 20 again. I, if you put it back up there for me, Mike. I want you to notice what the entirety of Paul's statement is. It says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now that's, where, that's the part that normally people quote. But you have to quote the whole verse. Amen? Otherwise you're a victim of soundbite theology. You know? And some people just say God is able. They don't even say exceedingly abundant. They just say God is able. But you have, to, you have to quote the whole verse. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to something. And it's according to the power that works in us. So, I mean, I was never taught that there was power working in me in the denominational church I attended. Um, but, but it's according to the power that works in us. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, we're, 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 in a, we're studying Ephesians, so we'll look at this real quick. This is in that first prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. Um, he's praying that the Ephesian church will get a revelation of what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now, if if we're required to have a revelation of it it, it, it sort of implies that we just don't automatically know about it. Some people say, well, you know, brother, if, if the power of God was working in my life, I'd feel it. Well, not necessarily. You know, Robert and I were talking about this. In Samson's life, when he um, finally told Delilah the secret of his power, the Bible says that, that he got up and, and when the Philistines were upon him, he shook himself again. But it says that he didn't know that the Lord had departed from him after, after his hair had been cut, after he broke the Nazarite vow. He didn't know that the power of God had left him. So apparently the power of God is not a feeling. You can't always feel it. Now, sometimes you can feel it, but, but not all the time. And so if you, Paul is saying that we need a revelation of it. Now, what is this power? What is this power that works in us? Well, let's, I, I, I was studying this, and I believe the Holy Spirit brought this verse to my attention, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. It's amazing. I, I've printed out my notes about four or five times because the Holy Spirit keeps coming back and giving me something else. Did, did, it, did any of you ever watch that TV show Columbo? Oh, yeah. Remember Peter Falk? He was a detective, right? He would come in and question people, and then he'd walk away, and he you know, had, a, had a trench coat on, you know, and he'd walk away, and he'd go, oh, oh, by the way, one more thing. That's what I felt like the Holy Spirit was doing to me. Oh, by the way, one more thing. And I said, I've already got 50 scriptures here. You want me to do another one? <laughs> but it was really more for me. So anyway, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, in this verse of scripture is, of course, in context, it's about the subject of giving. But I want you to notice what he says here. He says, uh, this is Paul again. He says, and God is able, God is able, he's able, right? He's able to make all what? Grow. 
grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. So, I mean, even though this, this we'll, we'll read this later, but uh, again later, but the fact of the matter is, it says that God is able to make all grace abound towards us. That is the power that is made available to us. That's the power that works in us. Um, Now, again, this is in the context of verses 6 and 7, which talk about imitating our Heavenly Father and being a cheerful giver. Now, what is the grace of God? Uh, We typically hear it defined as what? Unmerited favor, right? That's, That's usually the way grace is defined. Well, Charles Capps, I think, took it a step further and said that the grace of God is God's favor and power operating in our lives even though we don't deserve it. Amen? Now, the mercy of God is not getting what we do deserve (laughs) for all that we did before we got saved. Amen? And just for the, the, the sin nature that was in us before we got born again. So... Uh, the grace of God is his, his favor and power operating in our lives even though we don't deserve it. So what we want and need is for more and more of the grace of God to operate in our lives so we can receive exceeding abundance from him in all areas. Amen? Amen. So let's, um, let's look at Ephesians 2.8 because this, um, we're, we're in the book of Ephesians, we're studying Ephesians, so let's look at Ephesians 2.8. Because a lot of the time people will say things like, well, you know, we're, some people will say we're saved by faith and other people will say we're saved by grace. But it's really a combination of the two. Amen. Um, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Amen. Now, so it's, we're not just saved by faith, and we're not just saved by grace. We're, grace is God's part. Faith is our part. Now, if we're only saved by grace, then everybody would be saved because we, we would have no part to play in it. Amen? And if we were only saved by faith, then it would be according to our performance and what we do. And see, in reality, faith in and of itself Faith is not a force. Faith is not like the force, you know, in Star Wars, right? I mean, that's the way it's presented in Star Wars. Faith is like the light switch on the wall. You know, when Mike came in here earlier, he flipped on all the light switches. Well, when he did that, it wasn't like the power company, the guy at the power company was sitting there on the edge of his seat and saying, oh, you turned the light on i got to send the power there. No, the power was already here. The power was already on one side of the switch. When he flipped the switch, that's when the lights came on because the power was allowed a conduit through which to flow. That's what our faith is. Our faith is simply um, making a connection with the grace of God, you know, allowing it to flow into our lives. Um, Romans chapter 5 verse 2, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 says it like this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have 
access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now that word access there in verse 2, it, it means admission. It's like paying an admission price. You know, the big thing here in coming every October is the fair, right? It's the one time of year that life is fair. Amen? But you can't just walk in there. You can't just walk into the fair. You've got to pay an admission price to get in. And to have the privilege of being able to spend more money for tickets, to have admission to the rides and to buy the food and um, all of that sort of thing. But... It's by faith that we have access into the grace of God. And um, so faith's like paying an admission price. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 30. This is another example in the life of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus. It said, When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Verse 28. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, I am the Son of God, and by your grace, let it be unto you. No. According to your faith, let it be to you. So, Yes, it's the grace of God that healed them, but he's saying, according to your faith, let it be to you. So they were flipping the switch and, and allowing the grace of God to come in. And then verse 30, and their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, see that no one knows it. So it's according to our faith. Jesus said this on multiple occasions. He would say, according to your faith, he would say, and then he would say, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So... Uh, it's, it's according to our faith that it, 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 we determine how much of the grace of God flows in our lives. Have you ever noticed that there's some people that it just seems like they have more of the grace of God operating in their lives than others? I mean, we, we had, uh, Christine and I had dinner with Robert and Wendy the other night, and, and Wendy was talking about how just good stuff happens to her all the time, everywhere she goes. Of course, she confesses that too, you know. So I'm, I'm going to start confessing that. Good things happen to me everywhere I go. But I'm his favorite. Yeah. You're a favorite. You're not a Jebusite. You're a, you're a favorite, right? But we're all his favorite. But see, you have to look at yourself as if you are his favorite, you know. Not to the exclusion of anybody else, of course. But but if you if you honestly see yourself that way and if you honestly allow the love of God to penetrate your heart the way that it should, you'll never doubt that, that, that he'll, you'll never think that he'll withhold any good thing from you. Amen? Amen? He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's not withholding anything from us. So what increases our faith? and attracts this exceeding abundance of grace and power in our lives. Well, there's a few things, and I just want to kind of go through these real quick. There's four things that I've found, and I'm sure there's probably more. And by the way, I'm sure that being in a church like this and having you know, the great pastor that, we've, that we have, you've probably heard some of this before. 
But, uh, you know, it never hurts to, to have it repeated. You know, Jesus would, would, would repeat things. He would say, again, I say unto you, which implies he said it before. Amen. The Bible says that the, the Holy Spirit is given to us to bring all things to our remembrance that Jesus has said to us. In other words, we, we need to have things brought to our remembrance because out in the world, you know, we have a tendency to forget, you know. And, and the Bible says we're supposed to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. I mean, we may not be living in sin, but we can allow just the pressures of life to weigh us down and to, you know, make us forget the Lord our God. <laughs> as, as, as he said in the Old Testament, beware that you don't forget the Lord your God who gives you the power to get wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18, by the way. So, um, so what increases our faith? Well, let's look at the first thing that increases our faith and attracts the exceeding abundance of grace and power. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us. Look at that. Like precious faith. Here's Simon Peter, the same guy who pulled up that guy at the, um, that, that lame man at the gate of the beautiful temple in Acts chapter 3, said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he said that it was faith in the name of Jesus that did that when he was explaining to the religious people what happened. Um, he says that we all have that same like precious faith. Uh, with us, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 2, grace and peace be what? Multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So the first thing we need is knowledge of God and knowledge of Jesus. And I'll, I'll take that one step further and say accurate knowledge of God the Father and of Jesus our Lord. Uh, if you spend all of your time in the Old Testament, you're not going to have an accurate image of God. Amen? Jesus said it like this. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he says, I only do the things that I see my Father do. Jesus spent, uh, went about all through the villages teaching and preaching and healing. That was, that was his ministry, teaching, preaching, and healing. So that's what the Father was doing in him. Amen? So that's the image of God that, that we need to have. Uh, uh, Peter goes on to say, this was the beginning of 2 Peter. Now at the end of 2 Peter, he wraps it up by saying this. He kind of sandwiches the whole book in with the grace of God and, and knowledge. Verse uh, 2 Peter 3.18, yeah. But grow in grace and knowledge... Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So we see that there's a, there's a connection between grace and knowledge. Amen? Uh, let's, let's take a look at um, some more scriptures about knowledge. Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. This is the prophet Hosea speaking to Israel. He says, Hear the word of the Lord. You children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or what? 
knowledge of God in the land. Now, let's see what the result of that is in verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of an anointing. (laughs) My people are destroyed for lack of a double portion. Pray for me, brother, that I get a double portion. You don't need a double portion. You've barely scratched the surface of what he's already given you. And me too. Amen? He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And notice this, it says, because you have rejected knowledge. You can reject knowledge because you have all these strongholds of things in your, in your, uh, in your personal Christian philosophy that were presented to you growing up, and you haven't taken the time to root them out. And uh, he says, because you've rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Wow, that's, that's tragic. Um, let's look at Isaiah chapter 5. This is the prophet Isaiah. He says, therefore my people have gone into captivity, because why? They have no knowledge. Their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. So... We see here that there's a, there's a premium on knowledge. And so, you know, these uh, motivational speakers will say things, you know, like Tony Robbins and these type of guys. They'll say they don't acknowledge the gospel, really. But they say things like, knowledge is power. And that's true. But in our case, it's accurate knowledge of our Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ that's, that's power to us. That's what attracts the grace of God in our lives because it activates our faith. Amen? It causes us to flip the switch. I love that song by David Ingalls. Keep the switch of faith turned on. Keep the switch of faith turned on. Sorry, I don't don't have a great singing voice. (laughs) I mean, what it boils down to is, you know, Jesus said to the disciples uh, in Matthew chapter 16, we don't have the verse up there, but uh, Jesus said to the disciples one day, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're one of the prophets. Some some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. I mean, it was like they they thought that people thought he was a reincarnation of a prophet from the Old Testament. And then he went on to say, well, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, God bless him, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he said, then Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. See, up until that time, the disciples had no clue that he was the Son of God. Now, see, we, we, we don't think about that, but the, these disciples spent most of their time just kind of slipshod and just kind of, you know, Jesus gave them authority, and they were have, seeing some success, but they didn't understand everything that Jesus was saying. It said some of the things he was saying was hidden, were hidden from him, them. Amen? But uh, so, the, who do we say that Jesus is? I like that, that uh, prophetic word that Karen gave a couple of weeks ago, uh, with the, the tongues and interpretation. Uh, the Lord said through her, I am who you say I am. If you say I'm your healer, I'm your healer. If you say I'm your deliverer, I'm your deliverer. If you say I'm your prosperity, I'm your prosperity. 
your need, your uh, Jehovah Jireh. You know, I meet all of your needs. So he is who we say he is. Um, the psalmist said it like this: I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, He is my rock, He is my God, and in Him will I trust. So we have to say something. That's activating our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But another verse says, we believe and therefore speak. So faith without works is dead. And the work that we do to release our faith is to speak. Now, as I said, we have all these um, spiritual air castles and you know all these ideas from our youth that, that need to be uprooted. Let's take a look at that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, Paul says to the Corinthian church, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, what are these strongholds? Verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So these arguments and high things they can be things from our youth that we heard about God that we haven't taken the time to root out of us. But they can also be just people in the world say, ah, that, well, that, there's nothing to that, you know. That Jesus, that Jesus of Nazareth stuff, there's nothing to that, you know. People will argue with you about it. And you have to be diligent to cast down those arguments. And, uh, and also every high thing that exalts itself against what the Word of God says. Amen? Amen. Okay, so that's the first thing that, that attracts the, the grace of God through faith. Uh, let's, the next thing we find in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. It says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more, I love that, much more, those who receive what? Abundance of grace, the grace of God, right? The power of God. And what? The gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. The second thing, of course, is a righteousness consciousness. The fact that a revelation of the fact that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Uh, and uh, so... Abundance of grace works alongside of this revelation of the gift of righteousness. And righteousness is a gift. It's not something that we earn. It's not according to our performance. And it causes us to reign in life, it says. Now, this is appropriate terminology because what does the book of Ephesians say? It says that we're seated in heavenly places in Christ. We're, we're seated at the right hand of the Father, positionally. We have that same authority that Jesus has. So we're supposed to reign, rule and reign with him. Amen. Amen. And we reign in life with, by, by having a revelation of the gift of righteousness. And, and, it, and, and that goes along with an abundance of grace. Let's look at Romans 5.21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might do what? Reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, now, as for the righteousness of God, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, uh, Paul says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, this is talking about Jesus, 
that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Uh, the King James Version actually says that we might be made the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is something that you're made. It's not something that you attain to eventually because you study the Bible enough or because you pray enough or because you do these works. No, we do these works because we're already made the righteousness of God. It's because we want to renew our minds to the fact that that's what we already are. Amen? We don't, we don't, um, uh, we don't earn the righteousness of God. It's a gift. Uh, I, lo- I love this. Galatians 2.21 in the King James Version. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. See, if we could earn the righteousness of God and earn the grace of God, then what did Jesus go to the cross for? This is the reason why Paul preached so much. See, Paul didn't, in, in Paul's day, he wasn't dealing with the kind of stuff we're dealing with today, trying to convince people that, yes, it really is the will of God to heal you, and it really is the will of God for you to, to prosper and to have all these things. He was dealing mostly with the Judaizers who were going into these churches and saying, yes, you, you are saved because of Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised and you have to keep the law. And Paul was saying, no, 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 you, you've totally missed it. If, if righteousness could come by the law, then Christ died for nothing. Amen? And, but I love that. It says, we, that's what we could, we could uh, call this message, how to not frustrate the grace of God. I mean, just picture God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and all the angels, uh, you know, watching you. And you're, you're, you start to try to gain God's favor by doing something. And they're like, Ugh! they're frustrated because they can't, they can't, because of spiritual law, they can't just give you, their, give you the grace. They can't give it to you because you're, we're frustrating it. Amen? And we've all done it. I've done it many times. So we have to have a, a healthy revelation of uh, the righteousness. Are y'all getting anything out of this? Amen. So we don't want to frustrate the grace of God. Now look at uh, James chapter 5, verse 16. I love this. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, some people will read that and say, wow, that's, that's wonderful. If only I could find a righteous man. And on, all the time, we're, we're the righteousness of God in Christ. We can make effectual, fervent prayers. I love what it says in the Amplified, the last part of that verse. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes what? Tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Ergo, the grace of God. Amen? That's the power of God. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. When you really get a revelation of how you are the righteousness of God in Christ, you'll be bold. Amen? You won't be timid about it. Um, and, uh, and Hebrews 4.16 says this. 
Let us therefore come boldly to what? Not to the throne of judgment. The throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace, power to help in time of need. Not hope to get it, but find it. We can find it. Amen? And uh, the good news is we don't have to go that far to get to the throne of grace since we're seated in Jesus already at the right hand of the Father. We don't have far to go. Um, I like what Andrew Womack says. That's the reason why you you bow your head when you pray so you can look at God because he's right here. (laughs) He's not 10,000 miles away somewhere. But if you want to focus on 10,000 miles away, you're seated up there too. You don't have that far to go. God is, is near in, in either scenario there. Amen? So, um, so we need to have knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to have a righteousness consciousness. And number three, we've already sort of uh, touched on this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And this is the verse we read earlier, so I just wanted you to see it in context. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. There's something about giving that causes you to release your faith like nothing else. Um, uh, because it's, it's, it's where we live, amen? It's money, you have to have money to live, right? And we're no more like God than when we give because we're imitating God when we do that because God is a giver. And if, you, and if we're givers, it reveals that we really believe that he is a giver and that he's going to give back to us, amen? Um, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 Jesus said this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, notice this, there your heart will be also. Um, See, that's how you activate, that's a way of activating your faith. You're sending your heart somewhere when you, when you sow seed into a ministry. You're, you're sending your heart there. You're releasing your faith on, on their behalf, amen? So uh, that's, that's another way of attracting the grace of God is, is by giving. And the last one, this really uh, helps to balance everything out here, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with what? Humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So he's, he's emphasizing here that, you know, this is, this is wonderful. You've got knowledge of God. You've got knowledge of Jesus. You're a giver. You understand that you're the righteousness of God in Christ. But you also have to understand that uh, we need to humble ourselves and we need to have a humble attitude towards one another. 
um, verse, um, verse 6 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Uh, James chapter 4, we're all familiar with verse 7, which we'll read, but verse 6 says this, But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He just repeated what Peter said. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So um, having humility really is a form of spiritual warfare. Amen? Because you're, you're being like Jesus when you're a servant. Amen? Having an attitude of servanthood. And that's, that's one thing we have to keep in mind, that although we have this revelation knowledge, 1 Corinthians 8.1 says this. Uh, Pastor actually mentioned this last week in his message Knowledge puffs up, but loves, love edifies. We have to be careful when we start receiving revelation knowledge that we don't start thinking, well, what's wrong with you, brother? You know, why don't you, why don't you get this? Um, we, we, we should be of the attitude, um, you know, if somebody's struggling, if somebody's hurting in the church, the Bible says that if, if one hurts, the entire body hurts. Amen. And we should uh, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, bearing one another's burdens doesn't mean getting down in the dumps with somebody and crying and saying, oh, oh I'm so sorry, I don't know what to do. No, it's, it's grabbing them by the hand and said, you know what, we're going to get through this, amen? I'm going to pray with you, we're going to help. We're going to help you get through this. We're going to agree with you, God's going to move, the grace of God's going to come into your life, and it's, it's going to be okay, Amen. So we balance this knowledge that we receive with uh, love, you know, being uh, humble towards one another and walking in love. Now let's, uh, let's close this out in Ephesians chapter 4, you know, crossing the threshold of all of this um, um, revelation of who we are in Christ and everything with the practical, the beginning of the practical application of the Christian life, and this flows right along with what we were just talking about. Uh, therefore, um, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness, that's humility, right? And gentleness with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's how we keep unity. And, you know, uh, walk in love with one another. And the Bible says in, in the Psalms, it says that the Lord commands the blessing where there's unity. Amen. We need to endeavor. If you ever hear anybody sowing discord in the church, you should be quick to correct that and say, well, you know what? He, yeah, he, he, she may be acting that way, but let's, let's pray for her. Amen. Because we're all a part of the same body. And, uh, you know, God loves that person much, just as much as he loves you. Amen. Amen. So, uh, you know, just have that humble spirit and, 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 and servanthood. You know, Jesus, uh, Jesus said that he didn't come to be ministered unto, but he came to minister or to serve and to give his life as a, as a ransom for many. And so that's, that's the same attitude that each of us endeavor to have. And I, and I believe that, that everybody in this room that I know um, 
has that attitude. Amen. So that's a good thing. So there's great power made available in this room right now. Amen. And so, uh, so let's, uh, let's close this out. Did y'all get anything out of this? Amen. Well, Father, we just thank you.